Well, a bit of breaking news here on the Top Order podcast, and Binksy and I have joined a Zoom call to react to it. News today that the England squad, as we alluded to in the main segment of the podcast, has been announced, and some surprise selection omissions. I think, Binksy, you kind of hinted at this in terms of the the coverage that we had in our regular recording, but now reacting to it three or four hours after the event, a couple of big names have been left out of that England squad to tour the West Indies. Yeah, look, absolutely. I think um, obviously the omissions of James Anderson and Stuart Broad um, from this tour to the Caribbean, the main talking points, although a number of changes in the squad as well. Eight players getting the axe from the Ashes squad. Look, not, I guess, surprising to see the likes of Joss Butler um, omitted from the Caribbean tour, not least because he obviously went home with an injury. Rory Burns, Hasib Hamid, um, Dom Bess also missing out. Um, somewhat surprisingly, though, the, the three that I think we'll, you know, we'll talk about, Jimmy Anderson, Stuart Broader and David Milan, um, Look, I guess the the way that I'll probably sum it up best is I have just got home from work. It's yeah, kind of eight o'clock here in New Zealand. My twelve year old or eleven year old son, um, who's a big cricket fan, a big England cricket fan, has come in, um, and he said, "What are you up to, Dad?" I said, "I'm just about to go and record um, a mini podcast to react to some breaking news." And he said, "What's that?" And I said, "Stuart Broad and Jimmy Anderson have been left out of the England squad to tour the Caribbean." To his, and his response was just like, what? Why? Um, and as an England cricket fan of, you know, of, of 11 years old reacting in that way, I think tells you everything that you need to know about that, um, you know, that omission. I, I, it just doesn't sit right with me. I, I don't know what your thoughts are from, um, I guess, a relatively neutral perspective. Well, I just wanted to throw a couple of stats out there from the, from the tour, right? Woke, six wickets at 55, keeps his spot on the side. Jack Leach, six wickets at 53, keeps his spot on the side. Anderson, eight wickets at 23 was dropped. And Stuart Broad, 13 wickets at 26 was dropped. So the performances on the field cannot be the reason for these players not being selected. It it seems to me like from the press releases and the way that they've talked about it, Adam, that England cricket have started to move in another direction here, away from the famous pairing of Anderson and Broad. However, they've also said that, well, there's an avenue back to test cricket for Stuart Broad and Jimmy Anderson. But I can't, for the life of me, at 35 and 39, see what that avenue back to test cricket is unless they're saying, well, we're going to keep you guys for home series from now on and we're not going to burden you with biosecure bubbles and international touring. It doesn't sound like that's what Jimmy or Stuart want to do, but that could be the only logical explanation that I could come up with in the last six hours for why these guys would have been omitted from that squad. Well, look, I'm sure we'll come on to it a little bit later because there's some breaking news, I think, from an Australian perspective as well with Pat Cummins um, fronting the media today after Justin Langer's resignation. But Look, we, we, we might cover that in, in a bit more detail. Mm. The, the the issue for me here, and the reason I bring that up, is Cummins obviously has spoken, and, and maybe Root has spoken behind closed doors about what he wants for the side, and um, you know, player power really taking over here, and the captain running the show. So, look, in a way, I kind of hope that that's what's happened, and that will tell me that Joe Root is a ruthless character if he's prepared to have, have gone and made that um, made that decision and given his views to this interim selection panel, which included Andrew, Stout, uh, Andrew Strauss, 
I believe Paul Collingwood and also the chief scout, um, James Taylor. The issue for me at face value here is the contradictory messaging that's been sent by Andrew Strauss, a guy that I really, really like um, and, and has obviously done some great things for England cricket, both as a player and an administrator. But he was at pains to point out multiple times that he is the interim managing director until such time that they decide on the structure and appoint that management structure for England cricket moving forwards. And that he wanted the new managing director to have full say in appointing a new head coach or, or coaches to that setup. But then has taken this, what seems to be unilateral decision to end the careers of two England greats. And let's not make any bones about that. These guys are England greats. Um, as you point out, you know, the little lifeline for them back in. Um, look, I just think it's a, a really real, a really, really poor decision and an overreach from someone in an interim capacity. The, the only thing I can liken it to, and I don't want to get too dramatic, is it's a little bit like the 25th Amendment, where the vice president takes over duties when um, the president's incapacitated. And I guess the example I'd use here is, you know, um, Joe Biden's in having his wisdom teeth out and he's under anesthesia. And his vice president goes and presses the nuclear button and, and launches, um, you know, an attack on Russia um, whilst his boss is at the dentist, because th that's what it seems like to me. And uh, look, I know there's a bit of hype, uh, hyperbole there, but wow, I, I, I just cannot get my head around the fact that guys with 1177 test wickets between them, Jimmy Anderson, the best average of all the bowlers on this Ashes tour, and Stuart brought the lead, uh, the second leading wicket taker only to, to Mark Wood, who played one test. Um, more than him. Um, I just don't think they're deserved of this unless there's something we don't know about. And there must be, right? Because otherwise this makes no sense on the face of it. Why would an interim uh, interim selection panel even make sweeping change to the England side that is all but irreversible at this point, I think. The other one that we want to touch on, of course, is Dawood Milan being left off the tour, having made 244 runs in the Ashes series at 24. Looked pretty good in the first few tests, made 50s, put on big partnerships with Joe Root, got England into the contest in some of those early test matches. He's been now been dropped from the side. Ollie Pope, who shows a lot of promise at first-class level, but at the Ashes, 67 runs at an average of 11, keeps his spot. And Sam Billings was obviously only temporary, but in a silver lining for you has been replaced by Ben Folks. Again, doesn't seem to be entirely con like consistent in their selection approach, but at least now they're going towards a dedicated wicketkeeper who can bat in Ben Folks and who has done well at test level so far. Yeah, look, I, I guess to an extent, um, and it's really weird, um, I'm really pleased for folks because I think he has been look, mistreated a little bit, I think. He played 10 test matches, I think, or thereabouts, but it's never really had a consistent run in the side, had a freak injury when he was about to probably play the home series, pulled a hamstring slipping on his socks in the Oval dressing room last summer, um, which, you know, has got to go down as one of um, the world's weirdest uh, injuries. I can only think of one that's... Um, that's worse, and that was the former Wimbledon goalkeeper, Dave Besant, um, dropped a bottle of salad cream out of a cupboard, went to trap it with his foot and broke a bone in his foot and, and missed a few games of football. Um, so yeah, that's the, 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 the only other weird injury I can think of. But yeah, look, it, there is that silver lining of, of seeing a quality gloveman. 
But there isn't really a spinner that he's going to do a hell of a lot of standing up to. You know, Jack Leach has either um, not been in the side, so he's unlikely to beat the bat. And he's looked like taking his wickets caught at long on more than stumped um, by, a, by a keeper. So, look, I, I, again, I, I don't know how much value that keeping is going to add. And particularly where the batting looks a little frail, um, I wonder whether they're actually going to need to pack the batting a little bit. Um, and be- and give the gloves to Bearstow anyway. Interesting, all the press seems to suggest that folks will get a run and look as a purist keeper. I hope that's the case. But to, to come on to your point around Milan, um, it's really strange that Milan's done okay in those first couple of test matches. He had the impending birth of his child. He was born during the Ashes Tour. Um, you know, it must have been playing on his mind a little bit as they went into those final, uh, final games. I felt he'd done enough um, to probably keep his spot. And Really, Pope and also Lawrence, who are out of the side, have, have seemingly become better picks than a guy who's actually showed a little bit of performance in the Ashes tour and probably deserved a chance against maybe uh, slightly easier uh, conditions and bowling lineup in uh, in the West Indies, followed by, you know, a home summer. So, look, some real, real mixed messaging, I think, in the selection. Um, uh, Alex Lee's coming in as well, first class average below 40. Um, so it, look, it, it's really strange that you know they're taking a few um, punts here, and I just wonder whether it's the remit of an interim selection committee to be taking such wild punts rather than just trying to say, look, we need a holding pattern here in terms of um, some of the personnel that we haven't entrusted for this Ashes tour, and then yeah, let's really let the new managing director and structure do its job from a selection perspective as we get into the English summer come uh, May, June. Yeah, you're absolutely right. The thing to really watch will be how they structure that batting lineup because with Bairstow there, if he wears the gloves and bats at seven, they're going to have to find three more guys to fill the middle order in spots three, five, and six. Ben Stokes will well, obviously Root's be one of Root's going to bat three. That's the, that's the messaging coming out. So apparently Andrew Strauss has had that conversation with Root that Root's going to bat three for England now. Well, that's another change for the England side. And they're, they're basically pulling away a strength to cover a weakness there, really, aren't they, in terms of Root's been exceptional at number four. They're going to move him up to number three and then fill that gap with other batters. It looks like Dan Lawrence, it looks like Ollie Pope will get an extended run. Bairstow and, and, and Stokes will obviously be there as well and potentially Ben Folks at, at number seven or number eight for England. So it's all to play for in the West Indies. As, as we'll get on to Pat Cummins and the Australian cricket team, I really hope that those selectors know what they're doing because they've made sweeping changes uh, straight off the bat in a series that England really now really have to win and have to dominate the West Indies having made those sweeping changes. And there's a little bit of pressure on those guys coming in to the side to replace um, Stuart Broad and James Anderson to put up similar numbers and similar performances that those legends have, have done for England for a long period of time. Yeah, look, and I, I guess to an extent, I feel for some of the guys coming in. They've picked Matthew Fisher, who's a, another sort of 80 mile an hour um, English seamer. So, you know, almost, you know, very, very similar um, to some of the people that they've already got in the squad in Overton, Robinson, and Wokes. Obviously, it's going to be a different proposition for Mark Wood now leading an attack rather than being probably that surprise element, that, you know, that third seamer that gives you a point of difference bowling at over 145 Ks. And then, you know, big pressure as well on someone like Chris Wokes, um, who, you know, really has been in, you know, not in the limelight as a, as a seamer. 
Um, so that's going to be a very, very different proposition for Wokes, um, Wood and probably Ollie Robinson, who struggled a little bit by the looks of things with his fitness and his um, conditioning in the, the final stages of the Ashes Tour, which is something that, you know, he can fix with some hard work. Um, but yeah, very different proposition from going to uh, from number three or number four seamer to all of a sudden being the leader um, leader of an attack um, for those guys, Wood um, and Wokes. I think we've covered that enough, Baldy, that, you know, a couple of other notable um, inclusions. So Saqib Mahmood comes in. But look, we'll cover that as we probably talk a bit more about this England West Indies series as it starts to unfold during the early part of March. But we head across to New South Wales, where Pat Cummins has fronted the media and answered some questions. In it was one of those sort of like political um, last man standing. Ask as many questions as you can, and I'll stay here until I've answered them. All press conferences that that Cummins uh, took part in. I, I guess just from a personal perspective, um, had a little bit of a pop at um, Pat Cummins for for maybe not sort of saying some of those things prior to to all of this and, and on reflection I think he's dead right that he's probably held his counsel and let the process um, actually transpire for, for uh, Langer to resign and then come in and go into a little bit of detail around that I've still got an issue I think with the way that this has been handled and, and essentially the players putting a little bit of a gun to the board's head in terms of the, the coaching situation but what did you make of Pat Cummins comments in the aftermath of this Langer resignation? Yeah, well, I think if you have a look at the things that he said, they were very measured, they were really well thought out, and I think it speaks to the kind of captain and the kind of person that he is, that he's gone and let those things play out, and then he's thought about what he's going to say, and it feels like these are the things that he wants to talk about, not necessarily things that are, um, a PR person are putting on his agenda. But let's have a look at some of the things that he has said, and I'm looking at the Murdoch press coverage of this press conference and some of the quotes that they've written um, one of the things that's, that struck me early was this one here. In terms of the coaching style and where we want to take this team, we think a slightly different style is needed, come and said politely. So there's obviously a, a little bit of journalistic bias in their interpretation of, of whether or not that was polite. Um, and the other quote is, I do think the question then became, do we think it's sustainable? I.e., I think he's tweaked and changed quite a bit. And that's Justin Langer's leadership style, obviously. And he deserves a lot of credit for that. I think the question then became, do we think it's sustainable? We thought it was the right time to make a change. So clearly, regardless of whether or not Justin Langer changed his leadership style, the writing on the wall was months and months and months ago, you know, before, before potentially even before that kind of come to Jesus meeting in August with Justin Langer and CA and, and some of those captains. So clearly this change in leadership style is what they've, they've determined it to be has been coming for quite some time and it points to someone like Andrew McDonald taking over the coach of the Australian side, uh, a more Darren Lehman-esque type coach as opposed to a Justin Langer type coach. And that's all well and good. If that's the environment that Pat Cummins, who's stamping his leadership on the Australian side, feels, and Aaron Finch, who's been around for a long time, if he feels that that's the best environment to take his white ball team forward, uh, then that's on them. And that's the emphasis that we're going to have to put on this particular set of decision-making is that the players have had significant input into the kind of coach that they want. And then the outcome of that in terms of success on the field 
they have to bear responsibility for that, Finch and Cummins in particular. So, look, from an Australian cricket fan's point of view, I really hope that these guys know what they're doing and know what is going to be successful for them in terms of that style of coach that they want, and I really hope that they do succeed and I'll get behind them 100% along the way. Uh, But the onus really does now fall to Cummins and to Finch to make sure that the environment that they've asked for, that they set it up for success and they continue to drive that success. Because if it all falls apart now, it's going to come back on them in a big way. Baldy, the the quote that stuck with me, and I want to ask two questions on this. So the the first question I want to ask is, what do you make of it? Um, And the second question I want to ask about this quote is, um, the last line, what, what do you think he's actually referring to? Now, he's referring to some of the Australian former greats, the Pontings and the Haydens and the Mitchell Johnsons, um, making their thoughts known in the press. And, he, and this is a, a quote from, from Cummins. Some others have spoken in the media, which is also welcome and comes from a love of the game and their support of a mate. To all past players, I want to say this. Just as you have always stuck up for your mates, I'm sticking up for mine. So again, you know, what do you make of that comment? And that last bit, I'm sticking up for mine. What, what's he referring to in your view there in terms of sticking up for his mates? Well, just reacting to that, I haven't heard that quote uh, up, until you, up until you posed it to me. So my initial reaction is that the desire to move in another direction and have a different environment is a widely held view in the Australian team. It's not Pat Cummins and Finch on their own behest saying, no, this is the way we're going to go, boys. They've clearly got feedback from the playing group and probably some fairly senior guys in the playing group. Um, And you can speculate, listeners, as to who those might be, that that's the direction that they want to go in. And that there are some clashes with Justin Langer, not just with the captains, but with other members of the playing group. And Pat Cummins is, is, we're well within his rights to advocate for his playing group because he's the captain and in the Australian cricket team, it's pretty much the captain runs the show and has done for a long, long time. Uh, what do I make of it all? Well, it again re-emphasizes the importance or the the depth at which player power is um, enabled within the Cricket Australia hierarchy and the the relationship between the past players now and the current players in that in that side has soured a bit. You know, there have been a lot of guys who have been around that Cricket Australia setup. Warren, Ponting, Hayden, um, Gilchrist, all have been around that Cricket Australia setup since retiring. It's not like they've gone and done other things in the business world exclusively and not been involved with cricket. These are all guys that have been around. So the interesting relationship implication here, having defended Justin Langer and then got a little bit offside, as I see it with Pat Cummins now, is how are those guys going to integrate back into the kind of roles that Australia cricket or cricket Australia fans, Australian cricket fans, I should say, would want them to have with the side. You know, I would want Ponting and Gilchrist and Warren and Hayden involved in the building of Australian cricket, not just at the international level, but at the state level as well. So the interesting implication here is that underlying tension that now exists between some of these past players and the current players within that Australian side. Whether or not Pat Cummins is a a good enough leader and a good enough man-manager and people person to be able to sit down and mediate those kind of differences and find a a task-oriented way to lead lead those relationships forward, 
it, it remains to be seen. So far, he's made every post a winner. So, you know, you could only assume that, that he's got the skills to be able to do that. But that's going to be a big ask to repair some of the, you know, not burnt bridges, but, you know, some of them are smouldering a little bit in terms of the relationship between players past and present. And look, a final one from me, just before we make this into a whole new episode, rather than a quick break into our uh, current episode. In terms of the future for, for Australian cricket, do you, do you think this puts a dampener a little bit on the success of the last six months and makes it harder for the team to move forward? And I, I guess the second part of that is, do you think that this is almost a unanimous or a unilateral view held within that player group? Or do you, do you think there might be a bit of dissension in the ranks in terms of some players that would have supported Langer staying on? Do I think it's going to impact the, how we view the last six months? No, I don't think so. I think Australia no, more, have... more around the success or, you know, the continuation of that success in the next six months. And the think next it six months. causes an unnecessary problem? Uh, no, I don't think so because the players have got what they wanted. I think the players have got what they wanted and having done that, then I think the next six months are probably going to be pretty rosy um, as long as they can continue to deliver success on the field. If we start seeing six, eight, 12 months of on-field lack of success and by that I mean probably losing both tests in Pakistan is is below a pass mark not getting to the semi-final or the final of the T20 World Cup in Australia is probably going to be a below a pass mark that's when the pressure is going to start to come on I think the next six to eight months are going to be pretty rosy until we start seeing some of those results happen or not happen I think Australian cricket's going to be in pretty good shape but if it starts to not produce the results on the field that's when members of the press, the media, maybe even past players are going to start asking some very pointed questions and, and pointing the finger at, at Cummins and Finch in particular. Do I think that there's dissension in the ranks? It's very, very hard to say because so far none of the players have come out in support of Justin Langer. A couple have said, well, we'd like to have our captain articulate his view so that we can put an end to it and all move on, which is a very diplomatic way of saying, um, saying that. I don't think that there's any signs at the moment that there's dissension within the ranks but you never know within the Australian cricket team you know divisions within the Australian cricket team have been going on for 30 years or more you know in every one of those dominant Australian sides there were cliques and and you know individual groups within those sides so it wouldn't surprise me if there were some players who were very supportive of Langer and are sad to see him go but they'll have to get behind the new regime under Pat Cummins and Aaron Finch and the new coach in this case temporarily Andrew McDonald but you know if Ronald doesn't get the job at full time it will be someone like him and that will be really interesting to see if there is any significant player movement unrelated to form when those guys start to put together their squads for not just the next tour, but the one after that in the World Cup. That's when we'll start to see whether or not I think there were there were player factions that were opposed, strongly opposed to that Justin Langer um, treatment that he got. Fantastic. Well, Bordy, I think we've given more than our two cents worth on both of these topics breaking into this podcast. So we'll leave it there for listeners to mull on our musings over the course of the last sort of 24 hours worth of thought processes. And who knows, maybe we'll be back on the Top Order podcast if we can sort out our shared leadership model in time for the next episode. But for now, we'll leave it there. Good night. God bless. 